Oh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Everybody hear me okay? Do I need to adjust this thing any better? Okay. The 23rd Psalm. Probably it's one of the favorite psalms of many people. And uh, it's an allegory of how David was a shepherd boy. And David, being a shepherd boy, is... um, Understanding about what the Good Shepherd is all about. <clears throat> he, that is the allegory. He relates to Jesus Christ in by faith as to who is the Good Shepherd. And I just, uh, when he gives his allegory, he presents many things that are within this allegory that you can just dive deep into this passage of Scripture. In fact, the well is so deep it's kind of hard to get to the bottom. I can only tap the surface of this area here. And I find that when I pray through the Word of God that sometimes when I go back over another passage of Scripture it's just like if, if I haven't read it already. It's just new and it's more things to be able to see and, and be able to understand. And I and I just, I love the Word of God. I love to study it. I love to read it. I love to pray through it. So here's the shepherd boy, and he is sharing with us some very important areas of what sheep like and don't like. And the area that we want to look at is that he... he Brings us, he brings the sheep to the still waters. <clears throat> and I want to major on the word water. Water. <clears throat> How important is water? How important is water to the sheep? So, what is our Good Shepherd's purification? What is he going to use in the relationship to cleansing us? Now, we're not talking about taking a bath, okay? We're talking about the purification that comes from within. What does He do within? So let's say, He leads me beside the still waters. And so let let me share with you how that shepherds really know the value of their sheep drinking water. A, sheep, a, a shepherd is not worth his salt if he doesn't lead his sheep to water, okay? In fact, let me share six things with you that a shepherd looks at in relationship to bringing his sheep to water. <clears throat> the first thing is that sheep will last two days without water. <clears throat> so that's a lot, that's pretty important, right? Sheep drink about two gallons of water a day. How much water do you guys drink? Anywhere close to that? <laughs> some of you say yes, some of you say no. They say water is very important. It cleanses your system. So it might be good for you to just take that for what it's worth and drink a lot of water. God created the sheep with a, a thermometer inside. <clears throat> and, and I can understand that. Because of all the wool. 
And that kind of makes them kind of hot, right? So there is a, uh, I call it a, a built-in radar, I mean a built-in radiator. And uh, that, that cools their system. They've got to drink the water for this, uh, this temperature gauge to gauge their system as to how that they can regulate their organs and so on and so forth. So it's very important for them to drink water. If they don't drink that water, the nutrients that they get from the, the grass that they eat is lost. Water is good for sheep in production of wool. Water hydrates their organs. Water transports waste out of their body. <clears throat> so water is very important. But water is, there's a different concept of the allegory of water in a spiritual sense. So I want to kind of make a transition here and I want to talk about living water. This water down here is not living water. But there is a way that we can get living water and I'm hoping that every one of you have living water that is what's inside you. So when we talk about living water, so let me just take, let me just go to another water hole. Not the water hole that the sheep drink at, but the water hole that this Samaritan woman drank at. That she would go to the hole, this water hole, this well, and draw water. Now this is an appointment that Jesus had to meet this woman. This is a sheep. This is a lost sheep. This is the time that that Jesus has come to Samaria and is going to meet with a Samaritan woman. Now, not only is this a lost sheep, but this is a sheep that many people have prejudice toward. Because this is some person that we don't really, the Jews don't really want to deal with. They don't like the Samaritans. I find that sometimes we want to have our own way of broadcasting the gospel message to different people that we want to broadcast it to. We have a selective uh, type of evangelism. I want to meet and I want to evangelize those that are middle class Americans. I kind of want them to be part of my church, which is the mentality of some churches. But see, sometimes God gives an evangelism or gives a people to evangelize that is not the kind of people that we want to deal with. So when that that comes along, we say, well, that's really not the group of people that I really wanted to talk to, Lord. I really wanted that kind of people over there to be in my church. So here's the Samaritan woman. And let's turn to that passage in John 4. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to read about four verses there. It's found in 10. John, John 4, the 10th verse. I'm going to read 10 to 11. 
Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. She said to Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Skip to verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Living water. Now, Jesus sets the stage. He leads this sheep and He's leading her to one, one little phrase He uses. And see, Jesus knows this person so very well. I wish that I was able to see into people's minds. I wish that I could know the, the history that's behind some people. I wish that I could be able to set that stage so that when I start sharing with them, I would think of a really good question to ask them because then that would really set the stage. But Jesus knew the right question to ask her. He knew that if he asked her this question, that what kind of response is he going to get? So he says, give me a drink. Well, that just opened the whole thing up. Because, see, him being a Jew, dressed like a Jew, and she being a Samaritan, dressed like a Samaritan, and she had no, she had no question in her mind as to who he was. She knew he was a Jew. So, obviously, she not only thought, well, he's here to get a drink of water, but she's asking me. He's asking me for something to drink. Now, that is very strange. That just doesn't work well. Give me a drink. I want you to see also that, that God always takes the initiative in the souls of people. Always takes the initiative. He's going to do something that will cause that person that you're sitting next to on the plane to ask you, what is it that you're reading? Or someone that you're standing in line with and said, well, why do you get that kind of food? There is always somebody that's going to ask you a question that perhaps God has already set the stage and He's ready for you to just go right on in and begin to start sharing with that person Jesus Christ. So, give me a drink. Jesus asks her a hypothetical, conditional statement. He knew she didn't know the answer to it. They asked it anyhow. He asked her if she knew, if, if she knew. Ido is the word new here. It is uh, a complete knowledge, a perfect knowledge that is is in the past tense. So he says, if she knew, talking to her, who he was, she would have asked him for living water. 
Well, she could never have asked him that because she didn't know who he was. But he set the stage again and he wanted her to respond. Living water? What, what are you talking about? Living water? I've never heard of anything like that. I mean, the water that's down there below is water, but it's not living. So what do you mean by living water? And Jesus is telling her that the living water that He gives her will never dry up. It will never dry up. But the water I shall give you, or shall give you, shall be in Him, and the well of water springing up into everlasting life. Kind of a fountain of water within. A surging of water. The word is hollow me. Hollow me. And the word, the same word is used in Acts 3.8. And Acts 3.8 is where Peter and John are going through the gate and there's this cripple that is standing or sitting at the gate. And he wants some money. And so he holds out his cup. Money, can you help me here? I need, I need alms. And he says, well, silver and gold I don't have. But what I have, I'll give you. So he gives him life. And the same word is that the man, the, the man jumps up. He's leaping all over the place. Oh, I would too if I weren't able to walk. So he's leaping all over the place. That is how low me. That is the kind of leaping with joy. I've got living water in me. And that is what he is trying to share with this woman. This woman is an outcast. This woman is defeated, discouraged. She came to the watering hole at the mid of day because she knew that there wasn't going to be anybody there that would look at her, that would judge her. Because she was a woman of ill repute. And, and so she goes there in thinking that there was nobody there. But there was. There was Jesus there. He was giving living water. Now, the question might be, on your minds is, uh, what does living water really stand for? What does it really mean? So I'm glad you asked that question and I'm fixing to answer it for you. So if you would turn to Isaiah 44.3. Isaiah 44.3 and you might want to stick your finger there and turn to John 7.38-39. I'm going to read Isaiah 44.3 first but then I'm going to flip over there to John 7 real quick after I read that. Well, maybe not so quick. I might want to say some things about it. <clears throat> but Isaiah 44.3 says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. The allegory is water. And the word pour is used in both of the occasions. I will pour water on the thirsty ground 
and I will pour my spirit on your offspring. Both are the word pour. The word is yasak. Yasak. That's what it is. Yasak. It's kind of like the southerners when they see someone's socks, they say, Yasak. <laughs> yasak. <clears throat> yasak is, is a continual flow of water. It's um, the qual perfect is in the qual perfect in the present tense. It means unending flow of the influence of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> pouring out the Holy Spirit, the continually pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop. Well, in John seven thirty eight to thirty nine, he says. He who believes on me, as the Scripture said, out of the belly shall flow rivers of living water. And who's that? But he was spoke this about the Spirit, which they who believed in him should receive. So, it, it to me, is very clear that living water is a representation of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who refreshes in the Word. The Holy Spirit that gives us insights into truth. The Holy Spirit that gives us the joy. The Holy Spirit that is kind of a fountain that is within. And it keeps on moving. The Holy Spirit that gives us many things that we sometimes are not even aware of. So, the flowing of the Holy Spirit is within us. That's living water. Now, I'm going to make a transition again. And I want to go to the next point. The next point. And so, are you finished with that? I am. I am. What is our Good Shepherd's progression in for the sheep? And I'm going to be on this for the rest of the time. It is Good. What is the progression for the sheep? He restores my soul. So in Psalms, you say, well, where are you at? I'm in Psalms 23, verse 4. He says, He restores He restores my soul. Now, <clears throat> I want to stop there because that's what I want to be able to deal with for a little while. And then we'll go to the rest of the verse. He restores my soul. The word restores is shub. It means to bring back, to restore, to refresh, to repair. After the watering of the sheep, the shepherd needs to bring the sheep back to the green pasture again. Bringing the sheep back to the green pasture, they again fill their bellies, they again lay down, They again chew their cud. They again go up and go to the watering hole. And they go back again to the same thing. So it's a a kind of a a routine that goes along and along and along. But see, this is progression. You've got to have the progression. If you don't have the progression, you don't have lambs. And so the purpose of, of the progression is that my business might grow. If I don't have lambs, my business is going to die out. 
And so it's necessary for the shepherd to continually bring the sheep to the green pastures and to bring them to the water. It's, 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 it's necessary. It is absolutely important. But we need to understand that uh, Shub, the progressing of, of God in our lives, is, is not just with the sheep physically, it's with the sheep spiritually. There has got to be a progression in our lives. The Spirit of God is going to continually bring us back to the Word of God, the green pastures. And then He's going to constantly refresh us with the Spirit of God. And see, that the Spirit of God loves to teach us. We just need to make ourselves available. We need to let Him feed us through the Word of God. Give us the insights. So, progression in the Word. There is a necessity of progression in the Word. But there's this true progression, restoration of the soul. It begins with confession. Now, this is where the allegory stops. Sheep don't confess their sins because they're animals. But we do. And we have to confess our sins. It is a sign of being a Christian. Have you noticed that those that are not Christians do not admit that they did wrong? Way up on the top, those of that, that are in the high operas, they're not going to tell you, oh man, I made a mistake. Oh no, he did. So, confessions is very, very important. And so when we confess our sins, there's a purging that the Spirit of God does in our lives. Now when we talk about confession and we're talking about purging, we're talking about the restoration of the soul. Listen to Psalms 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. What's the soul? What does the soul mean? Well, the Hebrew word for soul is nephesh. And the Greek word is suke. Now, <clears throat> that, is, that is what needs to be refreshed, is our minds. That's a soul. My body doesn't need to be refreshed. My mind is what refreshes my body, isn't it not? I go to the refrigerator and open it up and say, okay, what can I do to refresh my body here? My body doesn't refresh my mind. My body is dead without my mind. So, suke is talking about my mind. And when our minds are involved in sin, God forgives us of the sin. He purges us from it. But then there's one area that that he has to deal with and sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't and that's the consequences of my sin. You know, God doesn't cause the consequences to go away. It just doesn't. You make a mistake. Maybe it's a really bad mistake. Maybe you've got a girl that's pregnant. God's not going to go back in there and take away the consequences and make her unpregnant. 
You have to deal with the consequences of sin. Deal with the problems that have been caused. A perfect example of this, I think, is in Scripture, is Peter. You know, the guy who had hoof and mouth disease? He needed his pride to be humbled. Uh, He was a fisherman that sat on the rocks and restored and remended and mended his nets. He was in need of being mended himself. He had denied the Lord. He wept with bitter tears because of what he had done. And he felt so miserable. He felt so ungodly that when he went to the beach side where Jesus was, he says, depart from me, I am a wicked man. He was so overcome by his sin. He could not, he, he just, he lost his, his confidence, he lost his focus, he lost his purpose. And Jesus came to make his life right again, to restore that again. So if you open your Bibles to again John twenty one, fifteen to seventeen, that's where I want to be able to major on in, in that verse and that illustration there. John the twenty first chapter. Here's a sheep that's really hurting. He's really, really hurting. He's hurting so much that he really doesn't want Jesus around. Have you found have you felt that way? When you sin and the consequence of your sin, you really didn't want to pray. You really didn't want to get in the word. Just didn't want to. Just felt so out of it. Well, this is what Peter was. So in John twenty one, fifteen to seventeen. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He used the word agapeo. Agapeo. I'll tell you what it means in a second. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you. I have an emotional I have an emotional attachment to you. He said to him, Tend to my lambs. He he's, in verse sixteen he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, I phileo you, and, and he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you follow me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you follow me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. With one word that Jesus used to restore this man was agapeo. What does agapeo mean? Agapeo means that is a demonstration of love, of total commitment and total trust. 
total commitment and total trust. I love you and I commit myself to you and I trust you. Peter wasn't there. He couldn't say that. He could not say the words, I have total commitment and total trust in you. Because he didn't feel that. And Jesus knew he didn't. And he knew that he needed to be restored. And this is what Jesus does, is that he restores his sheep when they sin and they go astray and they get out of the way. But Jesus also gave him, with that word, agapeo, he also gave him a mission. He gave him a purpose. Feed my lambs. Tend to my sheep. So by giving him by giving him that mission and by telling him that I agape you because Jesus wouldn't have asked him if he loved him if he didn't love Peter. So he restores this man but it's taking a progress of time. If you turn to 1 Peter 1.8, I want you to see how this man was restored. How was he restored? 1 Peter 1.8. Jesus is, I mean Jesus, but Peter is speaking to his parishioners and he says, Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you agapeo him. Isn't that amazing? Peter is saying that I have come to the place in my life that I have total commitment and total trust in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I exhort you to have the same. That's restoration, folks. That is restoration. That is God's progressive restoring of His sheep who could not say those words, but now He could say them. Progressive restoration. But what was it that he was restoring? What was it that needed to be restored? It was his mind. He needed to have a a restored thinker. You know, sometimes our thinker is thinking, thinking. And we need to have our thinking realigned. So, the restored Peter, he restored the thinker, the noose. The noose is the mind. Fire's Greek definition says noose, the mind, comprising of the faculties of perceiving and understanding and those of feeling, judging, and determining. So, we're talking about the mind. We're talking about all of those things that has to do with the mind's functioning needed to be restored. Now, to cause the mind to be in subjection to the Spirit is restoring. Is to have sofran neho. The mind being restored is to have a sound mind. Is to have a sound mind. Uh, why is it that we need to have a sound mind? Because our mind is the battleground. 
Our mind is the battleground. Satan wants a mind, and God wants our mind. And God's saying you need to renew your mind, and Satan is saying, oh, no, conform your mind. And so there's a, a constant battle every time we get into a situation, every time we get into a temptation, every time there's a trial, whatever the case might be, there is that battle that we have to fight. A constant battle. And it's who we lend our mind to, it's who we win or whether we lose. As a transformed mind. Let me share four things with you with this mind. They're all ours. Renew, review, reset, and realign. Renew, review, reset, and realign. We renew our minds in Romans 12 too. It is the conforming or transforming. There is that constant conforming and transforming. The metamorphosis that takes place. The renewing of my mind. That's the importance of, of being transformed is so that my mind is renewed. Is renewed in the Word of God. We, in our renewing minds, need to strive for maturing in God. But it's a progress. There's a constant progress. The Good Shepherd continually progresses us and restores us so that we will have a transformed mind. You know, it's just as easy to go this way, away from God, as to go this way with God. And so that temptation or that thing that comes into our lives, we've got to strive for the renewing of our minds. Two, is the review of our minds, the girding up of the loins, says, says Peter in First Peter 1.13. The girding up of the loins of your mind is the reviewing of the battle strategy. How are you going to fight the battle? What is the strategy that you have to renew your mind with? Oh, well, I'll just do whatever it comes. You know, when it comes to the battle, when I get to the temptation, well, I'll just shoot from the hip, you know? But... Is that the strategy that God wants us to have? See, the strategy that God wants us to have is that, number one, we get into the Word of God, and then when we get into the Word of God, we need to ask ourselves the question, what is it that I need to do to conform to this passage of Scripture? How am I supposed to look at that passage? What do I need to do in my life to make that verse of Scripture live in my life. What do I need to do? That's the strategy that we need to have. Now, of course, we've got to put on the armor of God, and every time we put on the armor of God, we're, we, we are operating under the Spirit of God, but see, we can have the armor of God and still get defeated. So you've got to have a strategy, and the strategy is that the Word of God has to be strong within Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed to thy word? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
It's building a reservoir. It's taking the Word of God and, and applying it to my life and saying, this is what I want to be. And I conform to it. Now let the Word of God become a part of me. That is what we call transformation. That is what we call metamorphosis. That is what we call a renewing. And a reviewing. And we need to reset our minds in the Spirit. Romans 8.5 it says, For they who are according to the flesh mind the things of the flesh. You cannot expect to do the things in the Spirit when you're in the flesh. They don't combine. It's either you're in the flesh or you're in the Spirit. You need to reset. You need to hit that little red button. It says reset. Reset. So I've got to reset my mind. I've got to reset my mind that if I'm in the flesh, I need to reset my mind and get it into the Spirit. You say, well, how will you do that? By obedience to God's Word. Obedience to God's Word is walking in the Spirit. So if you're not obedient to the Word of God, guess what? You're in the flesh. That really hurts my feelings. I'm sorry, but that's what the Word of God says. Hit the reset button. Get in the Spirit. Realign. Realign your minds under Christ. Philippians 2.5 For let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Realign it. Get under authority. So, well, I'm under the authority of Christ. I just can't stand my teacher. I just can't stand my boss. But guess what? You're not under authority. God has put delegated authority in our lives and He put the delegated authority in our lives so we are lying up under it. That is having the mind of Christ. Let's go back to Psalms 23, one more time. Our good shepherd's progression is not only for restoration of saved sheep, but it is also carrying lost sheep into the fold. We're not restoring lost sheep because there's nothing to restore them to. It's carrying lost sheep. It says in Psalms 23.3, He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Then in John 10.16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice and they will become one flock and one shepherd. Mm. How precious. The word in Hebrew for leads is nakah. The word for bring in the Greek is aga, ago. They mean the both. They both mean the same. To carry. To carry. Jesus is saying, I have other sheep that need to be carried into the fold. Shepherd needs to carry his sheep into the fold. Now, 
I'm going to have you turn to a passage of Scripture here pretty quick, but what I want you to understand about straying sheep, and this will, this will make this parable stand out and help you to understand what it means. When he talks about straying sheep, he's talking about a sheep that a man owns. He's talking about a hundred sheep. He talked about that there was one that strayed. When a, a sheep strays from the fold, it becomes frightened. It becomes disoriented and confused. And what does the sheep do? It just simply plops down on the ground and just lies there. And he's, 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 he's so frightened, he won't move. And this is the reason why the shepherd goes out and looks for that stray sheep. If he finds it because the sheep is a sitting duck, any predator is going to be able to get it. If he finds it, then he picks it up because the sheep won't move. And he puts it on his shoulder and he carries it back to where the fold is. When he carries it back, he says to everybody around, Oh, rejoice with me. I have found the sheep that I have lost. Well, why is that so exciting? Well, because the predators haven't gotten it. Let me read that. Go ahead and look to, uh, turn to Luke 15, verses 3 to 6. Luke chapter 15. Three to six. While you're turning there, I'm a different water. And he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Now, I'd like you to turn over to Matthew eighteen twelve, And I have a reason for you comparing these two parables together. In Matthew eighteen twelve, it says, What do you think? I'm sorry, I'm going too fast for you there. Matthew 18.12 He says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them strays, does he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek the straying one? Well, it was very imperative that if they lost a sheep, then he counts his sheep when they go into the fold. One, two, three, four, ninety-nine. Uh, whoa, let me see. Let me count them again. So he counts them out. Oh, man. And so he closes the gate and runs off into it because he knows that if you don't find that sheep, there's a wolf, there's a lion, or something's going to get it. The reason why I want to compare these two parables together is that Luke uses the word loose. Matthew uses the word stray. Now it's important for us to be able to see that because 
what the Spirit of God is wanting us to see is that these, these two words combined together gives us a picture that this is a straying lost sheep. A straying lost sheep. Now you may think, well, what's so important about that? We already discussed that. Well, hold on. Hold on. I'll, give, I'll help, you, help you understand that. That the word loose is apolumi. It means to ruin and destroy. He loose, loses, he ruins and destroys. The word Matthew uses for stray is planaho. And planaho has two meanings to it. One is that the person straying has already taken a step away from the truth. Has already, already began to move away from God's truth, move away from the, the, the Word of God, move away from the assembly. He's already made a movement. The second meaning of that is, is the other side is that it is the purpose of destroying him by Satan. Satan plant aho seeks to destroy that person once he leaves the truth. Well, that wasn't truth anyhow, was it? What's so true about that? All those people didn't even love you anyhow. It's probably good that you left. And so he seeks the opportunity to be able to solidify his departure but see, both of these words mean that that straying sheep is really in trouble. And Jesus really paints this picture for us and He says that this sheep is really in danger. Really in danger. Because He's fixing to be destroyed by Satan because He strayed away. So the shepherd runs out there as fast as he can. He's going, he's looking. He's looking under the rug, looking on the briar patch. He's looking in the field. He's looking everywhere. And he's saying, oh, if I can just find my sheep. If I can find my sheep. And he knows them by name. And he's calling his name. Please, please, where are you? And he finds his sheep and puts them on his shoulder and carries them back. And he's rejoicing. He found his sheep. But see, that's a stray sheep. That's a stray lost sheep that came from a fold. Okay? Now I want you to notice what Jesus says. Jesus said there in that passage that we read earlier, I have sheep that are not of this fold. I have sheep that are not of this fold. In other words... They're not straying lost sheep because straying lost sheep would be straying from their fold. But this is lost sheep that are not from a fold. They don't have a fold. You say, well, how come they don't have a fold? I don't know. They just don't have a fold. They're out there. And do you know shepherds are not going to go out there and find a lost sheep that's not part of their fold? I don't have time to do that. But I'll tell you one person that did. His name is Jesus. 
Jesus says, I go out there and I find a sheep that's lost. It's not a strange lost sheep. Just like the Samaritan woman, he said, I've gone out to find a sheep and this sheep was lost. She wasn't a stray lost sheep. She was lost sheep. And every one of you were a lost sheep. And he found you. And what did he do? He put you on his shoulders and he carried you across the threshold into the kingdom of God. Transformed your life. Gave you something to live for. Gave you a salvation that's rich and pure. Gave you something that you never had before. Gave you living water that just surges up inside you. Gave you an understanding of where the Word of God is. Progressively bringing you back to the field again. Oh, listen. Don't look at your salvation as a mundane thing. Always praise God for it. Always thank Him for finding you. His initiative was to find you, put you on His shoulders, and carry you. Because, see, lost sheep are dead sheep, right? And the life in them. And just like that frightened sheep, it might as well be dead. It just might as well be dead. He won't move. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that Your Word is rich. I thank You, Father, that You are the Good Shepherd. Oh, God, thank You for being the Good Shepherd. Thank You for coming into our lives and ministering to us. Thank You for giving us this living water. Thank You for restoring our minds Thank you for finding us as lost sheep. Thank you for giving to us that which we did not have. All that we are is because of all who you are. And we give you praise for it. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Luke. We appreciate that.